Last week, we were in Ruth chapter 4 and looked at about the first half of the chapter together. And uh, tonight we're going to finish out the uh, rest of the chapter. And if I had to put a title on this part of Ruth, I would say the best is yet to come. Because as we walk through the story of Ruth and now we kind of reach the conclusion of it, we see how all the pieces that God was arranging are now fitting together. And so, uh, you know, start going all the way back to Ruth chapter one. You've got uh, Naomi going through difficult times, going through times of distress and not really understanding how it was all fitting together. So losing a husband, losing sons, going through famine, living in a strange land, and, and then coming back to Bethlehem really bitter and with a heart of confusion, not knowing what God was doing in her life. But then you see kind of little bit, inch by inch, God begin to lift the darkness off of Naomi and Ruth and their family. Uh, really the very beginning of that lifting of the darkness is God bringing food back again to Bethlehem and Naomi getting that news that God was providing for his people again. Then God provides a huge ray of sunshine into Naomi's life when he moves in the heart of Ruth to stay and to cling to Naomi and to go back with her to Bethlehem. And then you see God continue to uh, weave and move and form the tapestry that he is making in Naomi and Ruth's lives. You see in chapter two where Ruth goes out kind of blindly to go work in a field, not knowing where she should go. And where does she end up? But in the field of Boaz, who shows favor to her, shows kindness and grace to her. And then on top of that, in God's providence, turns out to be someone who can do something even more for the family as a kinsman redeemer. And so it's, it seems from a human perspective like chance, but really it's no chance at all. It's providence guiding all of the people involved. And then you see God continue to provide for them through Boaz, giving them food, allowing Ruth to continue to harvest there, and then telling his workers to leave extra for her and just providing over abundantly for Ruth and Naomi. And then in chapter three, we saw how uh, Naomi, I think with faith beginning to revive in her, I don't think she ever lost completely her trust in God, but it was, it was under a cloud, wasn't it? It was under a cloud. But then in chapter three, I think you start to see that cloud lift and where you can see Naomi's uh, eyes get brighter, I think, with the hope that, that God is doing something. And she comes up with this plan and gives it to Ruth to go and essentially go to the threshing floor of Boaz and, and ask Boaz to become Ruth's husband, to take Ruth as his wife and, and by extension to take on the responsibility of kinsman redeemer for the family, for the extended family. And Boaz as a man of character, and I believe someone who truly loved Ruth and saw the virtue that was in her said, I'm going to do that. I promise that I will do it. And then as we get into chapter four and really a couple of verses toward the end of chapter three, we see uh, all of these things that God has been doing 
hit a snag with the revelation that there is another kinsman redeemer who is closer in line. He's a closer relative to Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband. And so we uh, come to find out in Ruth that God's plan that he has for us is not always smooth. It's not always straight. Uh, We spent some time looking at that last week, that that there are some bumps in the road. And you can see that in Naomi's life. Uh, Clearly, the story began with a lot of bumps in the road, famine and death and loss and loneliness. And then even as God is beginning to provide and and bring the pieces back together again, we hit this other snag of there's another kinsman redeemer. And it's not always straight. It's not always smooth. And so in verse 12 and verse 13 of chapter three, Boaz tells Ruth, I am a kinsman redeemer, but there's another one who is more closely related than I am. And I'll give him the opportunity. If he wants to be your guardian redeemer, then good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. So Boaz expresses his willingness to do this for Ruth, for Naomi, for the family. But there's something that has to be resolved first. And so the path is not always smooth. It's not always straight. And then we get to chapter four and we see that Boaz finds this other kinsman redeemer. He brings him over, sits down with him, uh, presents the situation of the land to him. And in verse number four, he says, I'll redeem it. I'll take the land. I'll, I'll purchase the rights back for the land for Elimelech and Naomi and their family. And if, if the story were to stop there, we would all be disappointed, wouldn't we? There's this other kinsman redeemer and he says, I'll do it. I'll, I'll take the land. But Boaz, in the, the wisdom that he has and the wisdom that God has given him, in the righteous character that he displays throughout the whole story, he intends to do more for Naomi and Ruth than just redeem the land. He intends for Ruth to be taken care of, for Ruth to have a husband, and by extension for Naomi to be taken care of, and for the the line and the name of the family to continue on. So Boaz has more in mind than just the land. And then he brings that to the attention of the other kinsman redeemer. And so in uh, in verses 1 through 10, we see that Boaz, uh, in spite of life and in God's providence, things not always going smooth and direct, like from point A to point B, we see that Boaz still lives with wisdom and righteousness in the midst of those challenges that life brings. And so he brings the guardian redeemer over. He says, I want to tell you about this opportunity that has come up. And so he went over and sat down there, there at the town gates where the business of the town takes place. And Boaz takes the elders of the town. They sit down there together for the, the business to be conducted. And Boaz presents this to the other guardian redeemer. Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, then do so. But if you will not, 
then tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. And then the kinsman redeemer says, I'll redeem it. But in Boaz's plans, he has more in store than just the land. And so he brings up the matter of Ruth. He brings up the matter of Naomi. And he says, if you take on this responsibility, you also take on the responsibility of marrying Ruth and of raising up a, a, a seed, an offspring for the name of Malon, Elimelech's son. So it, this is a package deal, the way that uh, Boaz presents it. And I think he does that wisely. So Boaz says, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Uh, Someone uh, mentioned to me last week, and this is something that I'd come across in commentaries before, but he mentioned to me just the irony of this point in the story of Ruth, where this other kinsman redeemer is not named And the author of Ruth intentionally leaves him um, unnamed. And in Hebrew kind of uses a phrase that would be the equivalent of like, you know, Mr. So-and-so. You know, hey, come over here and sit down. So intentionally leaves him unnamed, even though everybody else in the story is named. But if you notice in this verse, the thing that the man is concerned about is his own lineage, his own name, his own inheritance. And so it's kind of an irony that the the very thing that he is concerned about, that his name, his inheritance, his lineage will not become corrupted. Nobody knows his name. Nobody in the world knows what his name is. He's been forgotten. But the one who takes on this responsibility and is willing to mar his own lineage, if you will, what is he known for? He is known for being the father of this child of Boaz and Ruth. And he's known as being in the line of David and in the line of the Messiah. So the one who is unnamed, but is concerned about his name, he's forgotten. But the one who shows character and selflessness, humility, his name is remembered for all generations. And he is lifted up as a person of character. So this man says, I can't do it. You do it for yourself. And then the author gives us this explanation of this custom of how this transaction would unfold. And so one person would take the sandal off and hand it to the other, uh, symbolizing this transfer of ownership. And so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal and gave it to Boaz, symbolizing the transfer of the right of taking on the role of kinsman redeemer and of acquiring the land and Ruth as his wife. And so he hands the right over to Boaz. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. And I think what else is fascinating is that 
the only reason we know the name of Malon or the name of Elimelech is because of this story. And because of what Boaz does in this righteous act of character in redeeming the land and also providing for Ruth and Naomi. Not only do you remember Boaz, but he also fills his responsibility to maintain the name of the dead. And it's passed on from generation to generation. And we remember their names because of Boaz and his character. And so the path that God has for us, it's not always straight. It's not always smooth. But in the midst of those bumps, those challenges, we have a responsibility as exemplified by Boaz to respond with wisdom and with righteousness. And then we see in verses 11 through 17 that when the good that God has planned for us comes to pass, we should respond with joy and praise. So this moment in Ruth, like where we are right now, Ruth 4, uh, verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, where Boaz kind of seals the deal on the land, but also more importantly on marrying Ruth, providing protection and provision for Naomi and the family. This is where the whole story has been going, hasn't it? This is like the climax of the story. To to use an analogy, it's kind of like all of these pieces that God has been arranging, they've kind of been scattered across the table. And for much of the story, especially chapters one and two, Naomi was just looking at a scattered mess on the table of what could God possibly be doing. But now in chapter four, as Boaz says to all the witnesses in Bethlehem, Ruth is now my wife. It's like the picture is put together, isn't it? The picture is put together and we now see where the story has been going. This is the good that God has been weaving together for Naomi. A lot of times we, we try to apply and we try to remember the verse of Paul in Romans 8:28, that in all things, God works for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, for those who love him. But we all know by experience and also from scripture that all of those steps in the journey, individually, they're not all good. There's a lot of rough places along the way. And there are times when we wonder, like Naomi did in chapter one and chapter two, how is this working together? How is this for my good? How in any way is this for my good? That's why Naomi said, just call me bitter because God's hand of bitterness has been heavy on me. And so there are times when we don't see how it all works out. But then God in his grace pulls back the curtains sometimes in our lives. And we have the privilege of seeing the, the completed picture, don't we? We, we? we have the privilege of seeing how, or why I should say, why God was doing what he was doing and how it all comes together in the end and serves in the end for our ultimate good, even though, some of the steps along the way were difficult. Naomi, Ruth, they got to see what God was doing and what he was moving toward. And so how did they respond? They, along with the the people of the town, 
see and witness God's goodness to this family. And they respond with praise. And so the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Again, the unnamed guy is gone, right? He's just just a guy. He's just another relative in the family. We have no idea who he is. But this blessing that, that was pronounced by the people of the town on Boaz came true. May you be famous. May you have standing in Ephrathah, in Bethlehem. He had standing and his name was known even well beyond that, wasn't it? His name has been known for all time, for thousands of years now, because of what God was doing in their lives. And so they pronounced this blessing on the family. May God make this woman, Ruth, who is coming into your home like Rachel and like Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. They were with their husband, Jacob, the ones who provided for the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they're announcing on Boaz and Ruth a blessing of uh, fertility, a blessing of building the house of Israel and becoming a famous, prominent family and clan in Israel. And verse 12 says, through the offspring, the Lord gives you by this young woman, may, you be, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And there's a reason why these names are in the story. It's because these names, Jacob and Leah, who gave birth to Judah, and then Judah and Tamar gave birth to Perez. Those names are in the story for a reason. And so the author is preparing us for what's coming in the story. But these are people that God used to build the house of Israel. These are people that God blessed, and they're pronouncing this blessing on Boaz and Ruth and their family. So, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he had made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Now, the language that is there, the Lord enabled her to conceive, suggests that um, Malon and Ruth were not able to have children. It suggests that using the language of the Bible, that Ruth was barren. That, that something physically presented or prevented Malon and Ruth from having children. And if you think about it, this story would not have unfolded the way that it did if Malon and Ruth had had a son. Because then there would not be a need for this concept of leveret marriage, of of providing a son to carry on the name of Elimelech and Malon. And so God, in his providence, prevented them from having children. And, and if you think about it, we could go back to chapter one and add that into some of the, the tragedies that befell that family. 
We didn't really cover it or think about it then because it wasn't really mentioned. But now we can go back and think about the fact that for however long Malon and Ruth were married, they were not able to have children. And that was a difficult thing to go through in the ancient world. You were looked at as cursed if you were not able to have children. And so that was kind of a weight, especially a a social uh, weight to bear in that society. But, and you think that's a bad thing. That's, That's a hard thing that they had to go through. It was all under the providence of God, wasn't it? Yes, that was hard, just like the famine was hard, just like the death of Elimelech was hard, the death of Malon and Kilion was hard, the, the moving to a foreign land, that was hard. That was all part of God's difficult things that he was weaving together in his providence, but for something that was coming down the line, for something that was good in the end. And now that the Lord has worked out his plan for them, he opens up Ruth's womb to conceive and she has a son. And there's also a reminder here that, that really every time that a child enters into the world, ultimately it's a gift of God, isn't it? Ultimately it's a gift of God. That yes, a husband and wife come together and they have relations, but it's God who gives the blessing. Children are a heritage of the Lord, Psalm says. And so the Lord blesses uh, Boaz and Ruth with this child. And notice the praise of the women of the town. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. And as you read this, you think, Well, this is talking about Boaz, right? Because Boaz is the kinsman redeemer for the family. Boaz is the one who married Ruth. Boaz is the one who, uh, through marrying Ruth, raised up an offspring in the line of Elimelech and Malon. And may he be famous in Israel. This was already said of Boaz. And so our initial inclination is to think that this is referring to Boaz, but... Notice the day on which this is being said. What is the day on which this is being said? This is being said on the day that Ruth has a son. May he become famous throughout Israel. The Lord has provided you with a guardian redeemer. I believe this is referring to the boy, to the son. And as you read the next couple of verses, I think that becomes even clearer. Verse 15, he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. So the he, the him in verses 14 and 15, the guardian redeemer that God has provided, the one whose name should be famous in Israel, the one who will renew Naomi's life and sustain her in her old age, It's not Boaz, it's the little boy that was born to Boaz and Ruth. Boaz was the the guardian redeemer who married Ruth, but in in a way, this son of Boaz and Ruth, the grandson of Naomi and Elimelech becomes her guardian redeemer. 
becomes her provider and the one who will care for her and sustain her. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. This is an amazing story, isn't it? That the story started with Elimelech and Naomi, and that's where it's ending as well. It's coming back around to Elimelech and Naomi and God providing for her a son that she lost in the beginning of the story. So she lost a husband, Elimelech. She lost two sons, Malon and Kilion. But now through God's provision for her, through Boaz and Ruth, she now has a son again. It's a grandson, but it's a son that she's able to care for, a son that she's able to love and invest her life in. And in return, that grandson becomes a source of provision and protection for her, like a guardian redeemer would. And so God comes around in the end and blesses her and provides her with a son, grandson, in a sense, to take the place of Malon that she lost previously. And so the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed, which essentially means a servant. Obed, someone who serves, someone who helps. It's someone that God provided for Naomi to be a help, a sustainer to her in her old age. They named him Obed, and now we see how this was unfolding and even pointing to something that was still to come. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. We know those names, don't we? Those are important names in Israel's history. And that that brings us to the last point of the story is that we need to remember that the good that God is doing in our lives may not be fully realized during our lifetimes. That's the hard thing about living by faith is when we go through difficult things in our life, we would love to be able to have the opportunity like Naomi and Ruth had like in chapter 4, verse 12, verse 10, where everything comes together, all the pieces of the puzzle fit into place. We see how it all is working together. We would love it if in our lives it always worked out that way. But it doesn't always work out that way. There are things that God is doing in our lives for our good that we may never understand or never completely see the end result in this lifetime. Because what he is doing in us and through us is still unfolding and will not reach its culmination point until after we're gone in death or in glory. That's the case here. God he pulled back the curtain a little bit for Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, and, and they were able to see how this was coming together. But even then, he still didn't show them the whole picture yet, did he? Because the whole picture is God is doing something here, not only for Naomi, for Ruth, for Boaz, for their family, on an individual, on a family level, but God is doing something even bigger on a national level, isn't he? This, this has ramifications for 
the whole future of the nation of Israel. That this story would bring a couple of generations later King David into the world and on the throne. Which is why this story ends with a lineage, a genealogy. And so in verse 18, it says, this then is the family line of Perez. Remember back several verses earlier when the people of the town said to Boaz, may this woman who's coming into your home, may she uh, bear you children like that of Tamar did for Jacob who gave birth to Perez. This is why that was significant because this is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Now, we could take that exact same lineage right there in verses 18 through 22, and we could go over to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, and see all of those names repeated again. That same chain of names, except in Matthew, it doesn't end with David. It keeps on going through Solomon and Rehoboam. And you can go on through and you get to Jesus of Nazareth. That's the amazing thing about the story of Ruth is God, the infinitely wise God that he is, who has everything in the universe, all within his providential guiding hand, is able to, in a way that totally blows our minds and our comprehension, able to weave things together, weave events, weave people together, not only to bless these individual people's lives, Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, but also to bless the nation of Israel through King David and beyond. But then we read in Matthew that what God was doing here was cosmic. It was global. It was universal. It was the beginning from the beginning to the end of all of God's plan of redemption. This story is a little piece of that big, grand, huge puzzle that God was writing from the beginning of Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation chapter 22. And the centerpiece of that story is Jesus Christ, isn't it? And so God is doing something individually, corporately in the nation of Israel, but he's doing something salvation historically that, that brings into it all of the elect, all of God's people from every age. This is a part of their story. This is a part of our story as redeemed children of God. And so God is weaving the story together. He's got a plan for all of his people. He is planning for their good. Sometimes that good takes a while to unfold. And sometimes we can't even see the full realization of it until glory. And we see everything that God was doing. I think what this story teaches us, especially in chapter four, but really the whole story of Ruth is the life of the godly 
is not a straight path to glory. But by God's grace, they do get there. It's a winding path. There are difficulties. There are struggles along the way. None of those are outside of God's providential guiding hand. And in his grace, every single one of his children reach the glory that he has in store for them. Every single one. So that Paul could say in Romans 8, 29 and 30, that those whom God has predestined, he's also called. And those he's called, he's also justified. And those he is justified, he's also what? Glorified. The story that God is writing for every single one of his children has a conclusion, doesn't it? And the conclusion of every one of our stories is glory. Now, the chapters along the way are all very different, aren't they? Our lives are all very different. We all go through different things, some more difficult than others. We have ups and downs. We have curves, bumps, trials, troubles. But God is bringing us all home to glory. It's a winding path, and it's not a straight one. But God does bring us home, ultimately to glory. So that we can say with Paul in Romans 8 that yes, everything that God is doing, he is working it together for our good. For our, for our good. And that ultimate good is that we would be conformed to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Which will not ultimately be completed until we are glorified. And we become like him because we will see him as he is, John says in 1 John chapter 3. And so may this story remind us that, yes, life is full of trouble, but it's not outside the providence of God. And God is using those things for the good of his children and for the, the weaving together of his ultimate purposes, not only for us, but for everything that God is doing in the world. So may God be praised and may we continue to trust in his, in his character, in his grace, even when we can't understand every step of, of the way that God is doing. May we continue to trust in him. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you for the time that we've had to walk through this story of Ruth together. Uh, we thank you for the, the wisdom that it teaches us about how you are providentially guiding everything in your world. Thank you for the wisdom that it teaches us about how to respond to trials and difficulties in our lives. Thank you for uh, the pictures of character and of virtue that we see, especially in Boaz and Ruth. And Father, we thank you that this story teaches us that your plan is always unfolding and in the end is always successful in accomplishing your purpose. We thank you, Lord, for providing uh, for us, providing a savior for us in the person of the Lord Jesus through Boaz and Ruth and through their son, Obed. And we thank you that because of Christ, we have redemption and we can have the hope of glory. Father, thank you for your word and for the privilege that we've had to read and study it tonight. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.